As we begin this new year, we also get to begin a new sermon series. We'll be spending time in the Sermon on the Mount as recorded in Matthew's Gospel. So Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And so before we start and Greg preaches, I'll invite up Liam and Luke, and we are going to read through the whole sermon as a preview and overview of what we're going to be spending time in for the next couple of months. You can be seated, by the way. Sorry. It's kind of long. You don't have to stand that long. So beginning in Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and, give, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It is also said, whoever divorces his wife, 
let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light 
in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give the dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Our Father in heaven, would your name be honored as holy. Would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask that you give us today our daily bread and that you would forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I pray now for the preaching of the scriptures. Would you speak through your servant Greg, and would our hearts eagerly accept your word as your daily bread to us? Yours, O Yahweh, is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, happy, um, <clears throat> happy new year. Happy 2021. I've uh, actually always loved um, New Year's. My, my wife uh, kind of thinks it's funny how much I love New Year's, but um, our youngest daughter is actually born on New Year's now, so I have a real reason to love New Year's. But uh, this, uh, this New Year, I, I, was, I was excited. I've never been so excited to say goodbye uh, to a previous year. And I don't know what it was like for you, but for me, it was pretty magical when the clock struck midnight. I uh, instantly grew a couple inches. I lost 15 pounds. I became a better husband and dad. I could feel wisdom just like surging through my body. It was unreal. So unreal that it didn't happen. Um, and it, it is, it's a new year. It feels good. But the reality is the world is uh, the same as it was last week. And it was a hard, hard year. And all of us, I think, experienced that in, in different ways. And certainly for some, it was worse than others. As a staff, uh, for our, our last staff meeting of the year, uh, we started just by praising God for everything we could think of in, in 2020. And actually, that's not true because we had to stop. Uh, there, there were so many things that, that as we thought through this last year, both in ministry, as a church, and personally, um, there, there was a lot to praise God for. And I, I remember back in March when, when shelter in place hit and everything, everything just kind of changed in the blink of an eye. Um, I think there were a lot of people, maybe all of us, tried to do some positive things, some good things. Um, and, and there were some positives to take away. I know as a parent, I loved that our schedule instantly slowed down, that, that all of our kids' activities were, were done. I, I didn't want them to be done for this long, but, but they, were, they were canceled, and it was good just to, to, to slow down as a family. Um, I noticed up on Prune Hill, I mean, there were people walking like crazy. The dogs around here got so much exercise. Um, uh, there were people that, uh, that I think took up jogging, maybe for the first time ever, or at least the first time in years. I know that as a family, uh, we didn't jog, but, but we, we had mandatory uh, family walks during COVID. And uh, even when it was pouring down rain, which we I don't know that we'd ever taken a walk in pouring down rain, but we, we uh, got our umbrellas and, and geared up. 
Um, it also seemed like everyone was baking at the beginning of COVID. I don't know if you remember how hard it was to even see like a packet of yeast at the store or a bag of flour. Uh, and maybe for you, it wasn't baking, but maybe you got back into some hobby that, that you'd neglected over the years or even started a new hobby. Uh, but certainly all the changes weren't healthy. They, they weren't all uh, good. And I saw, um, I saw a graphic that just blew me away, uh, and I'll share that with you now. So you, you probably can't read that, but uh, this, is, this is looking at um, screen usage, like device usage, um, back in uh, quarter three of 2018, then quarter three of 2019, and then March 2020. And um, at the top of the March 2020 there, it says, uh, this is average adult use per day in America is 13 hours and 28 minutes. Okay, now that is crazy. So that the green section uh, represents live TV, uh, like that orange yellow section is time on a tablet. The blue section, which is huge, is the time we spend on our smartphones. And my guess is that as you look at that, all of us are probably like, no way. I don't spend that much time. There's no way I spend 13 hours and 28 minutes per day. But it, it did certainly get me thinking about how much time we spend uh, looking at a screen right now, staring at a screen. I know, and, and we can get that graphic off there. Uh, I know that around uh, the election, I, I had a couple different people totally on their own, uh, just it was kind of a confession to me that, that they had just been obsessed with the news, like nearly addicted to, to reading article after article and listening to, to um, opinion after opinion about the news. Uh, even before 2020, social media wasn't just a, uh, a, a time uh, waster. It, it, it could just suck the life right out of you. And as polarizing as COVID has been and, and as politics have been, man, a little social media can, can go a long way um, to making things really unhealthy. I've mentioned uh, a couple times this past year a book that the elder team read by Kevin Van Huser called Hearers and Doers. Um, it was a really, really helpful book for us. And one of the most helpful parts for me was right at the beginning, um, how he talked about discipleship. And as, uh, as Christians, we hear this word discipleship uh, a lot. We, we use it a lot. Um, we think certainly of Jesus' own disciples. Um, maybe you think of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where he tells his followers, you're going to go, you're going to make disciples all over this planet. So we know that disciple making is supposed to be a really important part of Christianity. So back to this book, there are many great parts of this book and, and how he talked about discipleship. But the first thing that jumped out uh, at me and, and really hasn't left me since is uh, Kevin Van Huser says that basically everyone is being discipled all the time by someone, right? It's not just uh, the people that go to church that are becoming disciples. No, everyone is a disciple. Culture is discipling us. The media that we consume is discipling us. Uh, the conversations we get in, the podcasts we listen to are discipling us. Everyone is being discipled every day. Everyone is being shaped and transformed. And as a Christ follower, 
We got to ask ourselves, okay, how am I being discipled? What is discipling me? Certainly parents, you hopefully think about this a lot. What is discipling my kids? Who is discipling my kids? How am I discipling my kids? And I know we, we want the answer to be that we're being discipled to be like Christ, but is that true? How, how much am I really being shaped like Christ versus like these podcasts or, or articles or, or whatever it is that I'm consuming every day? I talked with uh, many people this year uh, in our church and, and other Christians. I know that um, 2020 in this shelter in place time, it, it was really hard to 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 walk with Christ. Not that they didn't believe in Jesus, but I had multiple people tell me they felt spiritually lazy or past year. If we want to be a disciple of Christ, we certainly need to consider how much space and attention, how much opportunity are we giving Christ to shape us. Um, I think the, the second, uh, maybe it was the first sermon uh, online, I shared this graphic uh, called the, the Wisdom Pyramid that I think we'll have on the screen for you. Um, this is uh, uh, made by a guy named Brett McCracken, um, which I always want to say McCracken when I say his name. Anyway, sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, anyway, he, he made this. There's actually a book coming out, I think, pretty soon about this. But you might remember when you were a kid, or at least when I was a kid, they had something called the food pyramid, and it was to try to help us uh, understand like how much food and, uh, and uh, what types of food we're, we're to uh, consume, what would be healthy for us. So he, he lays out, um, I think he calls these categories knowledge groups for us uh, to, to look at and, and how much uh, we consume. And I won't go through the whole pyramid, but um, you'll notice what he says we need the absolute most of is scripture. Right? God calls this uh, our, our daily bread. Um, why? why? Why do we need this? Because this is God's very revelation to us, right? This is how God has revealed himself to us. It tells us about him. It tells us about us. Um, like I said, God calls it our daily bread. This is our staple. And maybe, maybe you think about this last year and that was you. Right? You, you had so much time. You could only bake so many cookies and do so many things. Like you had tons of time, and, and maybe you took advantage of all that time being stuck at home. And, and maybe you read more uh, of the Bible than you ever have. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you had all really neglected. Spending time with the Lord in his word. Um, I, I would encourage you, we, we've got about 50 of these printed out in the back there, maybe a little more than that. Um, I'd encourage you to take one home and, and not only look at, at uh, what, what Brett McCracken lays out for us as, as being good for us as believers, these knowledge groups, but I'd also encourage you to, to fill out your own and, and evaluate, okay, this is where I really am. The, these are the things that I'm, I'm consuming in my life, uh, the things that, that are discipling me. I encourage you to start this new year um, by getting in the word, 
more, more than you ever have by saturating yourself in his word. And I, I think I say this every time. I know it's, it's a broken record, but I would encourage you not to just do this by yourself. Like, don't just sit with your Bible by yourself all the time. Like, you need, you need to read scripture with other people. You need to discuss God's word with other people. It will help you so much. So um, I'd say this week, ask someone. Ask someone to read the Bible with you, whether it's a, a, a read-through of, of the whole Bible, and you can do that in a year, you can do it in six months, 120 days, there are all these different reading plans, or, or maybe it's just you're starting with one, one book, you know, one, one letter, one of the Gospels, something like that. But I, I would encourage you to find someone this year and, and get into Scripture together. Um, anyway, that, that graphic, we'll, we'll take that off the screen, but there's, uh, it, it's printed in the back on little half sheets for you to take home. And, and I, I do think that this graphic helps us really think through, okay, what am I consuming and, and how is that impacting my discipleship of Jesus? I do hope that as, we, as we're sitting here together a year from now, um, that we'll look back on 2021, no matter what happens with COVID or anything else, and that we'll praise God for, for growing us, for shaping us, transforming us more and more um, into Christ's disciples. That was, that was a long intro for, uh, for our, uh, the sermon here, but I want to talk about some of those things and, and how it connects to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. As Matt said, we're going to be in a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. You could turn to Matthew 5 through 7 if you haven't yet. And we're going to be here for uh, several weeks this is known as, uh, as the Sermon on the Mount. These three chapters are, are pretty well known, like not even just in the church, but even outside of the church. It's probably the, uh, the, the most well-known teaching of Jesus. And as John Stott uh, points out, it's probably the least understood and certainly the least obeyed. And Stott goes on to say, this about the Sermon on the Mount. He said, it's the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered, for it is his own description of what he wanted his followers to be and do. And I'm sure that most of us, maybe all of us, uh, feel like we have at least some familiarity with the Sermon on the Mount. You might also be thinking, wait, isn't there another sermon that Jesus uh, preached that's, that's like this? And it's found in, in Luke 6. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. And if you, if you read it, there's many similarities. There's some definitely notable differences. Um, a lot of people believe this is the same sermon preached, uh, recorded by Matthew and Luke. Uh, others think it's, it's two separate sermons that, that Jesus preached a lot of these things different times, and, and, and these are two totally separate sermons. But either way, uh, Jesus' teaching, I think as we heard, uh, was truly astonishing. And, and that's how actually the, the sermon, uh, the, this section ends in, in Matthew 7, 28 and 29. It says, And when he finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Right? They hadn't heard anyone teach like Jesus. Right? He, he would say, you've heard it said this way, but I say this. As we make our way through this sermon, I hope that we too will see why 
the crowds, the, the, the disciples were blown away by Christ's teachings. So today is going to serve really as uh, an introduction for our series. Next week, we'll jump in to five, two um, with the Beatitudes. But my hope today is to give you a couple footholds. Uh, I think I was thinking of mountain and footholds. Um, my hope is to give you a couple footholds today that I think will help us as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, and hopefully as you read it on your own as well. And I would encourage you, read it uh, this week. Read through it. Sit down, one sitting, read through Matthew 5 through 7. It, it will not take you that long. And, and I would encourage you to multiple times to, to really try and get a, a feel for the sermon as a whole, because um, that's my hope, is that these, uh, these two footholds today will, will help you see the sermon as a whole and not just break it up into like many little uh, sermonettes. Um, this first foothold to see is that Jesus is talking about the kingdom, and I'm sure that's pretty obvious to you as you read it, but even how Matthew sets up before uh, chapter 5 and even after Chapter 7, we see that in Matthew 4, 23, Matthew writes this. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And then Matthew 9, 35, listen for this because it's almost the exact same. He says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. All right, isn't it interesting that, that he writes nearly the same thing in 935 that he wrote in 423? And it's not that he forgot what, I, what he said. All right? He didn't think, oh man, I need to write this down. This would be really good. No, it's on purpose. It, it's, it's like two bookends or... Um, as one uh, preacher put it, it's, it's like two pieces of bread, and we need to open up the piece of bread and see what's in the sandwich. So in 5 through 7, he talks about the kingdom, just like both those verses said, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And then in 8 and in, in 9, Jesus heals, right? He does all these healings um, after proclaiming the kingdom. And, and as we read in 5 through 7, there's a, a kingdom awaiting that, that Christ's disciples have. Right? There's a sense and a reality that the kingdom ha has arrived, it's here, but it's also not here yet in its fullness. And you've heard that phrase before at our church and other churches, this already not yet, right? It is already here and yet it's not fully here yet. So God's people are a kingdom awaiting people. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but Matt's sermon last week in Revelation 21 22 really helped me be a, a kingdom awaiting disciple. Man, I, I just, I've been thinking about some of the things he said all week and, and what, what, um, what's laid out in Revelation 21 22. I'm just longing for that day to come. Right now, we have a taste of the kingdom, right? We have this, this little sample, this appetizer, and it whets the appetite, but, but, but we're waiting. We're waiting for it to be fully consummated. And as you heard, um, as the guys read the Sermon on the Mount for us, this kingdom of God's is very, very different. It's often called um, a countercultural kingdom or an upside-down kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus describes 
is so very different than the kingdoms that we buy into, the kingdoms that we think are good, the kingdoms that, that we think will give us life and, and help us. God's kingdom is so different that it seems upside down to us. Right? How can someone who is persecuted be called blessed? What do you mean, Jesus, to turn the other cheek? Do you really call me to love my enemies and to pray for those who persecute me? What do you mean, don't live for treasures here on earth? What, what do you mean I can't serve, I can't love both God and money? The picture of the kingdom that Jesus paints really does feel upside down to us as we live in this world. But the irony is that the kingdom he describes is the one that's right side up. It's our kingdom that's upside down, and yet it's his that, that feels upside down to us. That's how off we are. Right? Our need is desperate for Jesus to show us which way is up and which way is down because we can't tell on our own. I talk about rafting a lot. You guys know I love the Deschutes River. Um, there's a, a stretch on the Deschutes River outside of Maupin, Oregon that, that I've rafted, I'm, I'm guessing, over 50 times. Um, and and there, I keep going back because I love it. I mean, there, there are places where you get the raft just right. You, you, can hit, you can hit a hole. You can hit a rapid, and it's chaos. And bodies, if you want, can go flying out of the boat. Uh, I've fallen out too many times to count. At first, I hated it. I've come to embrace it. Um, and, and I've learned a, a couple of helpful tricks as you fall out of a boat while you're whitewater rafting. The first is to hold on to your paddle, right? It is, it's bad enough that you're out of the boat. You don't want to have to go swimming after that paddle. And the second is be patient because my, my flotation device will get me to the surface. It has never failed me, which is good because something I've observed every time I fall out is I'm totally disoriented. I cannot tell which way is right side up. And, and that's because when you fall out, you fall out, you go in upside down. And it's totally disorienting. It always takes me uh, multiple moments to figure out which way is up. We need Jesus to tell us which kingdom is right side up and which is upside down. We can't just trust our judgment. Jesus, in this sermon, we find out what what he expects of, his, of the citizens of his kingdom. He's going to tell us what is right side up. The second foothold I'll give you today um, comes from uh, Jonathan Pennington, who wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount titled The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing, which Matt Q uh, uh, pointed out to me. And, and maybe you guess what the the foothold is just from, uh, just from the title of the book, but it's, it's human flourishing. This sermon um, that Jesus preaches answers the question, I mean, how do humans flourish? And, and this is a, an age-old question that, that every culture, every society has asked. How do humans truly flourish? I, I think in our culture, I actually think we've dumbed it down. We've, we've made it even simpler than that. I think we've just asked, man, how, how can I be happy? Right? That's as high as we're aiming. But, but Jesus, in this sermon, helps us understand how a human flourishes. And I love uh, what Pennington wrote. He wrote, uh, this will be on the screen here, true human flourishing is only available through communion with the Father God through his revealed son, Jesus. 
as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. This flourishing is only experienced through faithful, heart-deep, whole-person discipleship, following Jesus' teachings and life, which situate the disciple into God's community or kingdom. And, and Pennington goes on to describe the Sermon on Mount. He said it's, it's, it's Christ-centered. It's flourishing-oriented. It's, it's kingdom-awaiting. Human flourishing only happens when Christ is in the center, when we are living for and in his kingdom. Again, it's Jesus, the one that tells us which way is up. He's helping us see what is real. In this sermon, he's helping give his people a vision for being in the world, as Pennington puts it. So as we hear Jesus' sermon, my prayer, I hope our prayer, is that he will transform us. Let me also tell you about a, a foothold that I, I want you to avoid at all costs. Um, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, if you're uh, a Christian that's like me, and, and maybe this is true of all believers, but at least it's true of some of us, um, I want a list of behaviors that I'm to follow. I, I want a, a spiritual checklist. And my guess is that I, I just I feel like I want some type of control. Um, so without even realizing it, I'm quick to find or look for spiritual formulas that, that, I, can, that I can follow uh, to a T. Um, it, it's me trying to earn God's favor. Right? I want to earn his forgiveness. I, I want to earn his grace, which we know cannot be earned. So you, you can try if you want. You can try to make this a spiritual checklist, try to do everything Jesus teaches, but we're quickly reminded how short we fall, and, and I think that's God's grace, reminding us that, no, it, this is not, this, is not this, this thing that we can do. Right? This is an inner righteousness, as, as we'll see uh, next week in the very first beatitude. Blessed or flourishing are the poor in spirit. Right? It's the spiritually bankrupt. They're the ones who are, are able to see that they need Jesus and his right-side-up kingdom. The ones that realize that they bring nothing to the table are the ones that come to Jesus, the King, and are lavished with his love. And everything that Jesus teaches about his kingdom comes about in the believer only by God's grace. Right? It is God who transforms us. It is God who sanctifies us, making us more and more into the image of his Son. We can't just try really, really hard to be virtuous. You cannot make this happen. Remember John 15, the vine and the branches. I'm, I'm so grateful for how clear Jesus is there when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is God transforming you from the inside out. So uh, the question is, well, then how, how do we participate? Then how, how are we a part of this? Well, Jesus tells us, remain in the vine in John 15. Right? We've got to remain in him. We've got to commune with him. We've got to ask him, God, transform me. God, strengthen me. God, will you change my palate so that the tastes I long for are the, the taste of what you say is good. Throughout this sermon, we'll see Jesus talking about righteousness. And what he describes is not an outer righteousness, right? That's what the Pharisees and, and the scribes said. No, it's an inner righteousness that only God can bring about. We know Scripture's helpful in telling us that, that apart from him, our hearts are desperately wicked. There's only one solution, 
It's make, make the tree good and its fruit will be good. That is the transform, transformational work that only God can do. So let's turn to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna look at the very beginning and the very end of it. Matthew uh, 5, 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount was preached to his disciples. Now, I don't think it was just the 12. I think there, there are more followers than that that were probably there. But the audience that Jesus was speaking to are, are people that believed, that believed he was the Christ. So uh, as, as we read this sermon, there's this, there's this presupposing that, that Jesus was teaching to primarily to believers, uh, these are people, uh, when we think believer, we think of someone that's, that's born again, taking the, the language from Jesus in, in John 3, talking to Nicodemus, that this, this spiritual life, it's an act done by the Spirit in a person, and it's so transformational, right? So, so outside of what people can do that it's, it's described as this spiritual rebirth. So he's teaching to disciples. But what about the crowds, right? It mentions the crowds. And if you actually flip to 8-1, we find out that the crowds were somewhere nearby. My guess is near enough to hear. Jesus certainly attracted crowds. He'd, he'd been teaching in the synagogues. He'd healed people. Word spread quickly about Jesus. And the crowds wanted to see them, um, to see him and hear from him for themselves. So the primary audience was to the disciples, but I'm, I'm I really think that some in the crowds at least could hear. And we talked about this in our mini-series on the church, but I think there's a, a parallel here with our Sunday gatherings. Our, our service is primarily aimed at people who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But I hope and assume that each and every week there are people in the room that have not yet decided to trust Jesus as their Lord. And they, or you, are welcome here. We're, we're so glad that you are here. And, and spoiler alert, our hope is that you come to know and trust in Jesus. So I, I want you to know that you're always welcome, even though primarily, right, we're, we're, we're planning uh, towards people that, that have already trusted in Jesus as Lord. But back to the Sermon on the Mount, though. Jesus, he's, he's teaching his disciples, right? They, they believe they've come to him on this mountain to be further discipled by Jesus the Christ. And here we are around 2,000 years later, and we're doing the same thing. We're coming to hear Jesus' words, asking him to disciple us. Say, Jesus, show us what is real. Show us which way is up. So let's jump to the end, uh, to Matthew 7, verse 24. We'll end with, with this short piece. And Matt Eldridge pointed out just how, how brilliant uh, Jesus is to end the, the sermon in this way. Um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, not my sermon. Um, sorry. All right, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
end, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And there are some parables that Jesus spoke that, that they, they kind of leave your head scratching. And you want someone else maybe to share first like what that parable was about. But this is one where he gives us a, a metaphor that's it's pretty easy to grasp. And what we get to do is we get to hold up a mirror and look in it and, and say, okay, which builder am I like? Am I like the wise builder or, or am I the fool? And Jesus makes it clear this is a big deal. We look at what happens to the two builders. There's only two options here. There's either flourishing or destruction. So is my life built on a foundation of rock or sand? Have I built my life on on Christ and and what what he's done, what he's taught? Or or have I built my life on on all these grains of, of sand, these things from the world that I think will help me flourish? But but in the end. It'll mean my destruction. It's interesting, we don't get a description of the house, right? We, we just get a description of the foundations, the, the rock and the sand. For all we know, the, the foolish builder, he might have been an incredible builder. He might have built this, this mega mansion, right? And, and the, the wise builder may have only built just this shack. And I think this, again, points us to this inner righteousness versus outer righteousness. This year... Um, has done a pretty good job of, of testing foundations in, in people. I, I think in all of us, as the winds and the rains have come, you know, we, we've seen what we're built on. We, we've seen maybe places where we try to add to our foundation that, that's not in Jesus, or, or maybe maybe you've realized um, maybe you've realized that, that you're not founded in Jesus at all. And if that's the case, if we built on a foundation that is not Christ, we are doomed. Jesus designed us to flourish in his kingdom. And I wonder, does that describe you? Or are you trying to flourish elsewhere? Another observation that's pretty obvious, but I want to point out is Jesus says that we're to listen to his words and actually do them. <laughs> we're to actually do them. We're not just called to be a part of this this kingdom that looks upside down, but we're called to participate. Man, we should look upside down in how we live. Are we hearers and doers of Jesus' word? Jesus is the only foundation worthy of building on. He's not just the teacher. He is the teacher. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the King. And his kingdom is coming. Amen.